Hey, Redemption Hill Church. We're so glad you've joined us in worship today. Today is Palm Sunday. It marks the beginning of Holy Week, and it's the day when Jesus entered Jerusalem, sitting on a donkey to waves of palm branches and shouts of praise and honor. Today is a day for us to welcome and receive Jesus as the one who comes in the name of the Lord to save us. It's also a day for us to anticipate the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf and then the coming resurrection that ushers in the kingdom of life. Admittedly, it's really hard to not be together this week. Easter is such a significant time in the life of the church, and it's hard for us not to be able to gather. But I just want to encourage all of us that the same God who raised Jesus from the dead is still with us. He's alive and active. He's breathing hope and life into us, even as we worship him from a distance. And so I encourage you today to set aside your discouragements, your disappointment, your grief, whatever worries are occupying your mind, and fix your eyes on Jesus. May God encourage our hearts today as we worship him. There's a scene in the Gospels uh, where Jesus is in a home and some people um, come to him and say, said that your um, mom and your brother and sisters are outside and they're, they're calling for you. And Jesus looked around at the people that were near him and said, these are my brothers and sisters. And when I think of that story, I think of my brothers and sisters who I uh, have not been able to interact with. And I think about how much uh, I miss you and, and miss all of you and, and, and interacting with, with one another. I also miss our home, this building. Um, I, have a, I have a shirt on that says, the, the church has left the building, but we're coming back. And uh, I, I asked Chris the, to do this video feed from in front of the door so we can be reminded of, of our home. And, and I look forward to that time when we can uh, get back together here in, in our home. You know, this is hard for me. I'm an extrovert. I, I need contact. I need somebody's airspace to violate. <laughs> I need hugging and, and, and interacting with one another. So, so this is a, a challenge for me, like I know it is for, for many of you as well. But the, the hope is these doors are closed now, but soon they'll be open where we'll be able to interact again. And so my promise to you introverts, look out, because when these doors are open, I'm coming for you. I'm looking forward to, to being with you again. Jackie and I have been blessed to have three great children, and, and two of our kids have married, so now we have five. And four of, the of our five kids are on the front lines of this virus. The three girls are working in hospitals, and my oldest son, or my uh, son Chad, is a paramedic firefighter with Fountain Valley Fire Department. And we had a conversation the other day uh, about, about the virus and about his work, and something that really encouraged me I, I wanted to share with you. I told him I had seen a report that 11 firefighters from Long Beach had contracted the virus. And I asked him, I said, were you worried about that? And he said, Dad, you know, from the very beginning of my life, I wanted to be a firefighter. I believe that God had called me to be a firefighter. And I believe that calling is just as significant as a, as a pastor or a missionary because God has called us to serve. He's called all of us to serve. So. And I believe with that calling, God not only provides for us, but he protects us. So though, yeah, I'm concerned, I'm not afraid. Because dad, think about how many times that you've told me that there are close to 365 fear knots in the Bible. So I'm just gonna rely on, 
on one of those. And in my heart, that, that so encouraged me because I got an example of what Faith 101 is. Faith in blue jeans is. And he's exhibiting that faith in the midst of this crisis. And so I was really encouraged by that. And I hope it can bring an encouragement to you as well. I look forward for us joining together again and, and worshiping in, in these doors, especially when they're open and we can uh, interact with one another again. I hope God is blessing you during this time. You're growing in your faith. And I pray that you will enjoy the message that you will hear. God bless you. Hi, Pastor Mike here. Um, the last several weeks, I've been really struggling with uh, compassion fatigue, and I just was really realizing that the other day. And uh, so I thought I would just uh, share a couple ways, uh, if you're struggling with this, um, that we can all come together and uh, really have a, an impact on our people. And uh, there's ways of, of helping our people and encouraging. One is you're already doing a lot of this is uh, by running errands, picking up groceries, um, uh, making meals for those that are isolated, those that are vulnerable, uh, our elderly, those that have difficulty in doing these things, even outside of COVID-19. But maybe maybe you'd like to come and join our uh, kindred car, uh, care callers and, uh, and, and make some phone calls uh, throughout the week uh, to a select few of people that we would uh, match you up with, where you can pray for them before you call and then, and then listen to them, hear where they're at, and then, and then pray over them. Um, it really requires uh, just emptying yourself and being fully present uh, what I call practicing the presence of Jesus. If this is something that God is speaking to you, then I want to encourage you to email me direct, mikeg at rhchurches.com, and let's start a dialogue and see if this is something that uh, you'd like to be involved in. My prayer is, is that this would continue way, way beyond COVID-19, and we would be a church known for uh, fully engaging with all of our people, uh, those that are homebound, those that are uh, more vulnerable, those that are isolated, are elderly. Uh, so now uh, let us uh, just uh, continue in our time of worship before the Lord and uh, praise God together from whom all blessings flow. That's all for now, and God bless you. Good morning, Redemption Hill. Um, happy Palm Sunday to you. I know this is a different Palm Sunday than we're used to. Uh, usually we celebrate with all kinds of exciting music and all kinds of exciting um, just jubilation uh, because Palm Sunday was a day where there was a lot of excitement. Uh, and this year we can't do that. We will have music, of course, and we'll be in the Word, but it has more of a if you will, a somber tone. And I, I guess that's appropriate too, because a lot of the celebration when Jesus rode into Jerusalem was actually from people who were celebrating the wrong things, kind of like in our culture. And as the week progressed more towards Good Friday and Easter, things got darker and harder, but it was in that hard place that actually God worked the good things. So maybe in some sense, uh, there's an, an appropriateness to this morning as well. We're in a harder place not as prone to stand up and cheer, um, but we're praying that God will bring out of this hard place really good things like he did so long ago. Uh, if you have a Bible, would you open to Psalm 40? We're going to look at um, 
a familiar passage of scripture as we continue our series on essentials, a truth when all else fails. And uh, let's just pray for a moment and ask for God's help. Lord Jesus, um, thank you for all that you did. And that moment of celebration is so exciting. Your disciples had at least an inkling of what was going on and they were celebrating. There were others that were celebrating all the wrong things and quickly turned on you. But it was that week so long ago that began the change that has changed everything and that anchors us with hope even right now in our situation. And so we come to you this morning as our King and we ask for you to speak to us through your word, we pray in your name. Amen. You know, uh, we had plans for different things this morning and for this Easter season, and there was a bump in the road that caused everything to change. And uh, a bump may sound like kind of an understatement, an innocuous little thing, but sometimes it can be the smallest things that create the biggest difference. I mean, really what's driving this is a is a virus that's a micron across. It's the tiniest little thing, and yet it's wreaking havoc the world over, both through sickness and through economic disruption and social disorientation. It's, it's really challenging. This little bump that's come up has changed everything. Years ago, I was helping a friend move uh, his print shop, and uh, he was kind of old school, so he still had handset type. There were these huge trays of just little tiny metal letters backwards, because that's the way you'd set them in place. And you'd set your E, and then you'd set your M, and then you'd set your G, and you'd, you'd spell out your words, and you'd put spaces, you'd put commas. So there's literally tens of thousands of these little pieces of metal in these big trays. And he said to me, uh, I will move those because our friendship's too important to shop to the truck so that we could take it to the new place. And as he was partway across the shop, there was an unforeseen bump that he hit and everything went flying. Trays and thousands of tiny little pieces of metal, all different letters, all different punctuation marks, different kinds of fonts, different sizes. It was absolute chaos. It was horrible. And in fact, he was so livid, he picked up that, that hand truck over his head and threw it so hard that it bent the hand truck. And I learned some new words that day. And uh, by the way, I was about 20 at the time, so I thought I already knew the words, but he found some new ones for that occasion. It was, it was terrible. It was the tiniest little thing. You would think you could navigate around it. But isn't that really how life is? We are often taken by surprise by things that we just don't see coming. That's why we're meeting online right now. And there are probably other areas of your own life that are in a hard place because of unforeseen circumstances. And we try to navigate the best we can. We try to maneuver through all the bumps and uh, make our way smoothly through. But, but in a moment like this, we know we can't. We can't. Uh, we, we can't navigate through every circumstance without having trouble. And sometimes all of life gets upended and a terrible, terrible moment occurs like what we're experiencing right now. When that moment occurs, then we have a choice. How do we respond? And um, my own experience is we tend to lean into those things we're most comfortable with, usually what we would perceive as our strengths. So when a challenge comes to me, my normal response is going to be one of two things. I'm either going to try to outsmart it or I'm going to try to outmuscle it because that's kind of how God made me. Um, and it's worked for me at times in surprising ways. 
Um, in sixth grade, I remember we had an all church, uh, all church, <laughs> sixth grade wasn't in church, uh, all school wrestling match. And um, John Cox was the guy everyone thought was going to win this thing. He was the most athletic boy. I, I was athletic, but I was never great. John was a gifted athlete. He was quicker, more agile. He just knew how to move and how to how to do anything athletic. And, and so he was the favorite in everyone's mind, including my own. He and I wound up in opposite brackets and we kept working our way forward. And surprisingly, we both wound up facing off against each other. Surprising that I was there, not that he was there. And uh, wrestling matches have three different um, phases. You're standing up and then one's kneeling down and the other one's over the top and the other's kneeling down and, and the, uh, the first one's over the top. And, and so we did each of those. And the first two, we were pretty evenly matched. And the final one, he was down and I was over the top of him. And I thought, I, there's no way that I'm going to win this if I, if I just wait to uh, see his athleticism flourish. And so I just did the only thing I knew how. When the whistle blew, I just clamped down. I clamped down like a vice and he fell over and I fell over and it was the boringest match anyone ever saw because we just lay there and mostly he was writhing but he couldn't get free because I just held on for all I was worth and in that moment it was enough and to everyone's surprise I won. That's how I've done a lot of life, muscle through. But then there's moments of clarity where you realize that doesn't work. There's a lot of things in life that are beyond me. Like um, a number of years ago, we were on a mission trip in Asia and Kirsten was five at the time, loved animals. There was an opportunity for her to sit on the back of this guy's water buffalo. Of course, we'd love to have your picture on there. Put her on the back of this giant animal and then I had a moment of clarity. What am I gonna do as her dad if this animal goes nuts? I have literally no hope of helping her. I will die for this girl to protect her and that's probably what I would actually do because there's no way I am so overmatched. There's no way I can muscle my way through this. It was a moment of clarity. You know, we're living in a moment of clarity right now. We all have our approaches and yours may be different to mine, but we try to navigate life, um, try to avoid the bumps, try to overcome the obstacles and whether you muscle through them or you outsmart them or you charm your way through them or you have some other strategy. This is a moment nobody has a strategy. I mean, we have strategies. We're trying to do the best we can, but all of the pretensions and pretty little illusions we live under that life's in control, they're all gone. We're all just waiting for what's going to happen and we're sitting at home saying, I guess we can pray. That's all we can do is pray. That's a moment of clarity. And I'd like to suggest that that moment of clarity has huge hope, not just for now, but for all of life moving forward. And as I want to build my life with Jesus, this can be a formative moment because reality, if I could see it, I'd be able to see that there's a lot of times I think I'm navigating and I'm not. There's a lot of times I think I'm overcoming, I'm muscling through, I'm outsmarting, I'm figuring it out, and I'm not. Life's just not in control. We saw that a couple of weeks ago when we saw the psalm that tells us that God is God and I am not. But that's good because God is in control and I can't be in control. And a moment like this one can help us lean into that truth and help us establish patterns in our lives that will carry us forward in a healthy way.
God's God, I'm not. That's true when things are hard. That's true when things seem to be going well. God has a purpose, so I need to see my life on purpose and lean into purpose right now, as we saw last week. That's true all the time. How do I lean into that? How do I, how do I partner with God who is working out a plan? And how do I navigate this moment? Because I haven't avoided the bump and everything's turned upside down. And for some of us, that's really painful. All of us, it's hard. None of us like being home. None of us like being confined. None of us like the restrictions. Some of us have started to lose our jobs. Some of us have started to get sick. That's a scary thing. Some of us have had to let go of and and are still grieving losses. My wedding was gonna be this beautiful thing and now it's forever changed, although I've dreamt of it for years and years. My loved one has passed and we can't even celebrate their life right now because we can't gather. I worked so hard to finish school so well, and now I don't get to have a graduation party. The family is not going to be able to come. We're not going to be able to have this celebration. My business was just on the brink. It was just on the cusp of of really launching forward, and now I don't even know if it's going to make it. I was just about to get that promotion, and now I don't even have a job. It's a hard time. Life is filled with moments that we don't have control over. Every once in a while, our lack of control is so significant, we have a moment of clarity. This is one of those moments. So my encouragement to us is that we would learn from it, lean into what God has for us in it, and try to take that back into life as it returns to more of the normal patterns that seem like we've got it figured out, but we need God all the time. We, we, at times when we don't have any other choice, we sometimes say, all I can do is pray. All I can do is pray. It's almost like this surrendered shrug. And I'd like to suggest that's actually the, the mechanism for life. All I can do is pray um, is one of the most hopeful moments because it lines me up with reality. Because when I'm praying, all I'm doing, <laughs> all I'm doing is seeking wisdom from the mind that thought of everything, including me. That's all I'm doing. When I pray, all I'm doing is, is, is tying into the power that upholds the universe. That's all I'm doing. When I pray, all I'm doing is leaning into a God who works everything according to his purposes and putting myself in his hands. One of the most hopeful places to be is when I realize that the most important thing I can do, even if I can do other things, sometimes I can't, sometimes all I can do is pray. But even if I can do other things, in all that I do, I must pray. And the psalmist David in this case in Psalm 40 says these well-known words. And here's how the psalm unfolds. The first three verses are where we're gonna put most of our focus, the middle section which you can read in more detail on your own, kind of flesh out some of the ways the verse three verses are expressed. You know, he talks about worship and, and witness being expanded, and, and some of that's expressed there. And then at the end of the psalm, it comes back to prayer, because what he's doing is he's looking back on a prior prayer and how God answered and what God did, and a prior problem and how God worked through that. And he's using that to root himself and then prepare himself to pray for this next challenge. It's as if his, his life is driven from one moment of prayer to the next. 
And that's exactly what a life partnered with the God who is God when I am not should look like. Should be from one moment of prayer to the next. Sometimes prayer is all I can do. And that's not a bad thing because the king of the universe is the one I'm addressing. Sometimes prayer is part of what I do, but it's a necessary thing because I can't do any of it on my own. So David gives us these well-known words, starting in verse 1, if you want to read along. said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. David starts by saying, here's what I did. I cried out. Now, he doesn't use that word cry out. It shows up when he talks about what God did, but it's, it's the underpinning. He says, I waited patiently for God, and that patient waiting was this constant crying out for God's help. Because when the answer comes, it says, he heard my cry. So when he says, I waited patiently, he's not just sitting on his hands. He's engaging continually and passionately and yet peacefully at rest, trusting God's sovereignty, including sovereignty of timing and sovereignty of direction. But crying out to God, there's this pattern that he sustains as he patiently waits on God. And then God does three things, three things that we can expect God to do as we, as the followers of Jesus, anchor ourselves in his purposes. And as we continually cry out in prayer, he does these same three things. The first thing he does is he inclines to David and hears his cry. The second thing he does is he rescues David and makes him secure. And then the third thing he does is he multiplies praise, right? He puts a new song of worship in David's mouth and gives new powerful witness through David's life. So those are the three things that we can expect from God too. And in this, is, this moment of reality, when we're wondering, what can I do? Well, I can, I can pray. And God's going to start by inclining himself to me and hearing my cry. I, I love the picture of God being so attentive. I mean, there's, the whole world is engulfed in what's going on right now. Everyone's involved. Why would he pay attention to me? Well, because he pays attention to everyone and because I'm his. And it's not just part of the general background noise of the world. He's in tune with my cry. If you've ever spent much time with parents of small children, they have this uncanny ability to tune in and, and to tune out, right? You can be with them and the little kid can be tugging on them saying, mommy, 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 mommy. And mommy seems to be able to ignore that. And it's driving you crazy. And you're just thinking, can you not hear that? But change the circumstance and something you don't even hear, but there's a noise in another room or outside down the way. And suddenly mom sits bolt upright in her chair and rushes out the door because there's a different kind of cry. There's a cry of actual need. The child is frightened. The child is hurting. It could be a stadium full of football fans and mom can somehow pick the child out and you just think, how can you hear that? It's because moms, and at least some dads too, are tuned in to the frequency. They're inclined toward their child, so they hear the cry. 
David says, I waited patiently for you. I'm crying out to you and you inclined to me. You heard my cry. You shushing the angels and putting your hands to your ear and saying, shh, shh, David's talking. I'm listening. In fact, in a couple of verses, David talks about, here's all the things that I would do in worship. And those aren't really your focus, but you say you have given me your ear. Your ear is open to me. What a powerful picture that is. Shh, shh, my, my child's my child's talking and I want to listen. Yeah, I, I don't know what specific things you're facing right now. Some of you really are hurting. Some of you are really anxious. Some of you are really lonely. I mean, this is hitting all of us, but it hits us differently. Whatever that is that you're experiencing, God is, is saying, I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening. Why would I not cry out? I, I wait patiently for God by continually bringing my need to him. And he hears my cry because he's inclined to me. That's what we learn from this psalm. The second thing that God does for David is he makes him secure. He lifts him out of the miry clay and he sets his feet on a rock. But look at what he says here. He says, um, you set my feet upon a rock, second part of verse 2 making my steps secure, right? You make me secure. God has promised, I hold you in my hand and nothing can pluck you out of my hand. He's promised nothing can separate you from my love. I hold you secure. He who promised is faithful and will complete the work. He promised. He holds me secure. But notice what David doesn't say. He, said, he doesn't say you made me feel secure. And this is where I think a lot of us kind of stumble. And I think maybe some of us kind of give up on prayer and, and maybe even give up on God because we're looking for the wrong thing. We want to feel secure. But there's a lot of people who feel secure that are not. And I don't have to feel secure to actually be secure. And God hasn't promised me a particular feeling. He's not promised me a feeling of happiness. He's not promised me a feeling of, of um, a lot of um, security, a lot of comfort. That comes, and when it does, I praise him for it, or I should. But he has promised that no matter what everything feels like, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the journey looks like, I am secure. Right? David says, you made my feet secure. You, If you've flown very much, you've probably experienced a time when you didn't feel secure, but you were. If you've ever been through significant turbulence, it doesn't feel secure. And people kind of laugh and, and they don't want to appear too nervous, but we all get a little nervous when the plane starts bucking too much. I remember the most um, terrifying flight I was ever on. I was coming back from a missions trip on a little six-seat Cessna and the, the weather was horrible. We were flying literally through dust storms that Arizona's famous for. Below us, you could literally see town after town just disappear in a cloud of dust. The plane was being buffeted by winds and it was turning sideways and dropping 100, 150 feet at a drop. I mean, it was like, whoa, what just happened? And the, the dust was being blown into all of the engine works. In fact, I learned this later. I'm glad I didn't know it at the moment. Parts of the engine actually had started failing because of the dust storm. And they were closing airports. And we could hear that because we're sitting right two feet from the pilot. We could hear the radio. They're closing down the airports and wondering, what are we going to do? And everything in the circumstance was very unsettling. It was terrifying. Didn't feel secure in any way. But thankfully, I was sitting right there where I could see the pilot. And he was very calm. 
was very engaged. It was a serious moment, but he was very calm. He was never panicked. He was never worried. And he wasn't even putting on a show for us because he knew what the plane could handle. And he knew how to pilot the plane through a terrible storm. When David says, you made me secure, he doesn't say you made me feel secure. And, and implicit in that, there's a choice like I have in that moment in the plane. I can trust what I feel from the circumstances around me, which is terrifying. Or I can trust what I know about the pilot who's navigating me through the storm because I really am secure. There was never a moment on that flight where my life was actually significantly at risk. He had it in complete control. David looks back and he sees how you have kept me secure, even though I haven't always felt that way. You made me secure. It's a promise God has for us too. He's promised to hold us secure. I may not feel it at the moment. I may be pretty anxious. I may have to struggle with my emotions, but at the, at the baseline of my life, there's this promise from God that I'll never leave you. So I'm inclined to you. Pour your heart out to me. All you can do at this moment is pray. That's a good thing. Pray. It's actually how I want you to live your life. Pray it forward. David gives us one more thing in this passage because he basically says God increases praise, um, worship, and, and, and witness, right? Verse 3, I, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Those are actually really tightly tied together. God is receiving praise first from us because of what we experience from him and of him. And he's receiving praise from others because they see it. Right. I was listening to a pastor who I highly respect this week, a podcast, and he was talking about 2008 economic meltdown and how it really uh, catapulted a lot of things forward in their church because he lived in an area that was very success focused. People were about their jobs. They were about their incomes. They were about their cars. They were about their houses. They were about their accomplishments. And all of that collapsed. When you lose your job and you lose your income and you have to sell the dream car to restructure your whole financial situation and you're on unemployment, that's a hard place for everyone. But what he said that was so interesting and so insightful to me was he said, and the reason they started looking to us is because their gods died. These were their gods and they died and they needed a new god. David is surrounded by people like that. You and I are surrounded by people like that. We're tempted sometimes to be people like that with wrong gods, and those gods will die. And this is one of those circumstances where probably a lot of things that we hold dear are going to get shaken up at the least. Financial security, business, health, family dynamics. Some of us are just having a hard time because we're home all the time. And we're not used to being in these close quarters, and it makes extra tension and extra struggle and the things that we thought were so tidy and perfect aren't right and when we have put our trust and our hopes in the wrong places suddenly those things come unraveled and we're left asking the question where's our real god david says look as you worked through my crisis people could see that you were the real deal and they turned to you in fact let me just mention quickly some of you may be tuning in and you're just looking for answers from God. And I'd love to talk to you. You can email me, robertb at rhchurches.com. We can start a conversation and be happy to interact with you. Glad you're here with us this morning. 
welcome you anytime online or in person when we're able to do that again. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we do believe God loves you and has, uh, has care and, and uh, a purpose for your life and would love to have a chance to talk to you about that. So in this passage, David starts by saying, I, I patiently waited in my crying. You heard me and inclined to me. You uh, rescued me and, and actually made me secure. And out of that, you brought praise and you brought a powerful testimony. And now, God, this is the end of the passage. I'm coming back again. Right? He says, be pleased in verse uh, 13. Be pleased to deliver me, O Lord. I, I need help again. Verse 17, the actual last words of this are, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O God. Living a life with God doesn't mean it's going to go smoothly. It's going to go up and down. And David's wisdom shows in that he's just leaning into God and he's got a new hard spot and he remembers the old one and how God was faithful. And he said, prayer was what got me through that. I'm coming back again. Here I am, God. I want to lean in. All I can do is pray. In all that I do, I pray. That's a good thing. We want to end this morning's time actually spending some time in prayer. And I've asked my wife, Dave, to lead us in a little prayer time together. So um, I just encourage you to join in and pray. The Lord in prayer. The psalmist says that great is the Lord. We acknowledge that you are great. That your ways are beyond ours. We need to wait patiently for you because you are God, you are Lord, we are not. We acknowledge your goodness, your control, and your authority. And as we come to you in prayer, I ask that we would align our hearts with yours. We would come under your sovereignty. And God, I pray for our church family as they're at home right now, that you would bring to mind any sin that needs to be confessed, that we would repent in the quiet of each person's heart, Lord. I ask that you would show them, show me what I need to confess. And Lord, we have needs, we are needy people we have friends who are hurting, who've lost jobs. We struggle with addictions and temptations that face us on the internet. As we're in solitude at home, there are many things that can occupy our time and many of those are, are not glorifying to you. And I ask that you would help you would help those people who are struggling with those things and in isolation, their sins are running rampant. I ask that you would help. We come to you with those who have needs for employment, for provision, for companionship, who are feeling lonely. Lord, incline your ear to us. And I would just encourage you that whatever your personal need is at this time, that you would picture yourself bringing that to the throne room of God 
and presenting it to him, setting it at his feet and entrusting it to him. So just whatever that is, just say it out loud right now. Lord, I bring to you And Father, we acknowledge that you are big enough to handle each thing that distresses us, each concern we have. And when you answer our cries for help, we will be grateful and we will give you praise. And as the psalmist says, that we will will proclaim that you have delivered us And we'll speak of your faithfulness and your salvation. Help us to proclaim your steadfast love. Lord, we're poor, we're needy. I thank you that you remember us. Help us and deliver us, O God. Don't delay. Have mercy on us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.